Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a special message from Pastor Jeremy Wolfram from Saints Church. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Amen. You're not wrong, Pastor Harrison. I get to kick off my birthday week with everyone here. You know, uh, when Moses turned 40, he entered the wilderness. (laughs) When most of the children of Israel left the wilderness, they were 40. So I'm like, God, what side is it on right now? You know, that's what we're looking at. And uh, I'll be 40 next Friday. And yeah, um, I'm just just Amy's brother when I'm here. And uh, we're just Phil's siblings, right, Amy? Yeah. Our, Our middle brother, he's in competition with us, and he would always try to win uh, at everything, has more kids than me, and all those sorts of things. But yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. If you have your Bibles, why don't you get into Second Chronicles chapter 20, Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to go there. But uh, yeah, so this last week has been kind of crazy. Uh, my oldest daughter got her driver's license this week, and my youngest daughter uh, can't eat solid foods yet, and uh, that's, that's a spectrum that we're in. Uh, at Christmas time, my kids will be 17, 15, 13, and uh, eight months old, and uh, so we just started this all over, and we had to explain to the older three that uh, your little sister's life will be very different than yours, because there is less children that age. We are better off now. We, she will get to do things that you never got to do, and Uh, It was just a little lesson in remember that life's not fair, get over it, and God's got good things for you, and it'll be okay. And uh, But we're loving life. Um, Sienna, Cohen, Houston, and Juno will be here next service, but uh, it's so amazing actually having uh, helpers and and teenagers, but the other thing is that I'm so excited my daughter got her license because I calculated two weeks ago. I put 2,000 kilometers on my car in 10 days driving my kids to sports and activities, and I'm like, somebody else in this household needs to be able to drive, Um, because for my wife, dragging a six-month-old around for all those things is a little bit uh, tedious, and, uh, but we're loving life, and uh, we're we're enjoying every minute of it uh, while we can, because your kids, they come to an age where you think you'll never be past this age where they're little, like Pastor Harrison's got four kids under the age of five. It's a blessing. And you think, will this ever end? And then one day you're driving to six soccer practices in a week at different ends of the city. And you're like, it ended, but now I'm doing different kind of running around. At least when they're little, you contain them at home. (laughs) Now I'm getting calls to pick them up from all hours of the night and all over the city, but that's okay. Um, and I say all that just because I, I believe what I'm going to go into today and uh, into the Word is kind of a, a life message for me because uh, parents, grandparents, uh, you know, mothers and fathers in the faith, mentors, we have a responsibility and influence to model to the next generation what it is to s- serve the Lord, to stand before him, to walk through different things. And it's a privilege. Uh, there was a gentleman that said years ago, and I never forgot this, that uh, children were meant to be arrows in our hands, not a pain in our side. 
And, uh, you know, don't ever complain to my, mo- to my wife about uh, the uh, poor me mommy culture. She'll just have none of it. She's like, look, your kids are a blessing. Don't ever, like, it's hard. It's not easy. But there, there is something about heritage and what God gives us in family. And so in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to flip there. Uh, I want to share with you today on the subject of what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Because whether you're in a a situation or a place right now where it's difficult, whether it's the best season of life you've ever had, whether you're absolutely shocked at what's going on around you and you're just utterly confused and don't know what to do, uh, maybe you're just in such a good place, you're like, things are firing, things are going the way that I want them to. I'm, I'm here to tell you today that the world And this life will bring trouble your way at some point or another. Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble. But take heart for I've overcome the world. We have to be ready and positioned as people of God to know that in a season where we don't know what to do, we actually should know what to do. But when we haven't predetermined and we haven't made decisions and we haven't set our hearts to know what to do when we don't know what to do, we find ourselves scrambling, we find ourselves in chaos, we find ourselves in confusion and doing things that we never wanted to do in the first place. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we find King Jehoshaphat, and he's in a place and situation where it says in the first few verses of this chapter that uh, some of these other armies had gotten together and they mobilized against him, and it says he was alarmed. And for the king of Judah, the king of Israel, to, to be alarmed and to be in this place where he's like, God, I, I don't know what's going on here, uh, he, he calls a fast. And sometimes some of you are in church and uh, your, your leaders say, hey, let's do 21 days of prayer and fasting, or let's do some extra nights of prayer, and you're like, I don't want to do that. Come on, you've all been there. You're like, okay, if you ask us. There's moments in time where even leaders and, and people that God has positioned to lead us forward find ourselves in a place where we say, God, I don't know how to deal with this. And and one of the best things we can do is get back into the presence of the Lord. But here's Jehoshaphat, and he says this, starting in verse 5. It says, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard of the temple of the Lord. And he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are God and who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them and they did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? And here's what he says, in all vulnerability, and this is tough for leaders to do in front of people. He said, we are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do. But Lord, we are looking to you for help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. 
I thank you that your word is powerful, it's alive, it's living, it's active. I thank you that when we come for answers, you are sure and stable and steadfast to show us by your word how we can walk and how we can see and how we can move forward based on your goodness and your grace and your leading in our lives. So today, Lord, as we look into your word, I pray that you would give us strength, vision, and encourage us in walking in the ways of our God so we can do the things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. My question to you today is this. When you feel stuck, when you feel lost, when you feel broken, when you feel confused, where do you go? What is the first thing you run to? What type of things do you invite into your life? What do you try to make things Different because one thing I've learned in my 40 years on this planet is that in our humanity, when we feel trapped or caged or not understanding where we should go or how we should move or how we should act, the simple answer to us is not to wait for the right answer. Often we find ourselves scrambling, trying this and that and the other thing. Sometimes we look for escapes. Sometimes we look for uh, coping mechanisms. Sometimes we turn to people. Sometimes we turn to things that ultimately lead us in a path and a pattern that may or may not be beneficial to us. And one of the things that we do in our lives is when we don't know what to do, we start to scramble or we start to try things and we try to see what will work. And rather than actually looking for an answer from the Lord, very often we try to mobilize and muster up every ounce of strength and ability that we have in ourselves to think we can do it on our own. And here's where Jehoshaphat finds himself. I could count the army, I could call the soldiers, I could do all of those things. But it says in the scripture, when he was alarmed, when he saw what was happening, the first step and the first thing that he did was he said, we need to pray. We need to gather all the people together. Now, here's an interesting thing. If an army is coming against you, you don't call all the people together and the wives and the children. You tell them to go hide and to take shelter and you call the fighting men. But he goes, no, no, this involves everybody. Chaos and confusion will always call us to scramble, rush, and confuse the little bit that we do know. My good friend, John Fleming, who was my boss for a couple years when I was uh, moved back to Alberta and, and, and preaching kind of part-time and figuring out what was next for us in life, he always said this. He says, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Like, John, that's so confusing. He goes, but that's the reality of people's lives. Sometimes we expect them to know better. Sometimes we expect them to behave better. Sometimes we expect them to make better decisions. But in our own lives, when we begin to realize that we don't know what we don't know until we know it, we are in the same boat as every person we look at and judge that makes poor decisions, rash decisions, things that lead them into brokenness. Because outside of Jesus, outside of us knowing what God wants for our lives, we are the same exact people. And the chaos and confusion wants to lead us to rush, to scramble, and, to, and confuse the little bit that we do know. The enemy would love for you to feel stuck 
to feel stopped up, to feel like you're not moving forward and find yourself in a place where he actually confuses the things that you do know about God and what he said and what his word says and what's true for your life. He would do anything to cause you to run to this or that and scramble so he can confuse the little bit that you do know. And today I just want to give us some practical steps for us to walk out any season of life when we don't know what to do. Because I believe that God's word shows us. I believe that God's character and nature is a God who calls his people and always led them forward one step at a time. And so our job is to set our eyes on Jesus and follow him. But often we get distracted, we get confused, we find ourselves in the chaos. And what I want you to know today is that if we want to know what to do when we don't know what to do, we need to do a few things. And the first one is this. We have to find a way to get before the Lord. Number one, if you want to know what to do when you don't know what to do, you need to find a way to get before the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 13 and 14, it says, All the men of Judah stood before the Lord, listen to this, with their little ones, with their wives and children. This day we'll take the S off wives, we'll, one wife, you stand before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite, who was the descendant of Asaph. When they didn't know what to do, they found a way to get before the Lord. And I'm just going to say this. When you really want something, you find a way to make it happen. But I've been in church a long time, and I hear, oh, man... We move service times, and that's at nap time. I hate hearing that. We're talking about Christmas Eve times this year, and my team's like, well, you know, like, if you do that, I'm like, don't, don't you one person say that's nap time for people. Because I know when Christmas holidays hit, that goes out the window. And I can say that kind of half-jokingly, but the reality is, is often when we're struggling, when we're facing a situation in our life, we find a way to get everything and anything else in our life, to get to the things that we want to do, to find the break for us, to find the self-care that we think we need. And I'm not saying it's wrong to take care of yourself, but there are moments in time where you need to get before the presence of the Lord, and you need to get your kids there, and you need to get your family there, because you, in your own self-care, are never going to be strong enough to fix the situation without Jesus. So you might as well bring your family along and say here we are we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to see what he says but we're so quick to think that might harm them or 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 they won't like it and guess what they might not but they'll see a pattern and they'll see a place and when they don't know what to do in life they'll know where to go my kids are gonna tell me I owe them so much money after today if I tell stories about them One of my kids says to me, Dad, you should come preach our, our chapel at our school. They go to a Christian school, and they said, it's barely Christian. I said, yeah, I, I hear that. And they said, they bring in all these people that share testimonies. And let's, let's remember, testimony is powerful. But they're like, it's like they're trying to scare us into not doing drugs or get addicted at things. And, and they, 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 they share all those stories. But they don't actually read the Bible, or they don't actually teach the Bible or preach the Bible. And, and so then they keep asking me to come, and I keep ignoring the emails from the lady who sets it up, so she's quit asking me. 
But, you know, when, when, when they, they do these things and they, they share those testimonies and, and all of that stuff, they come to a place where it's like, are you just trying to scare us to being here? Because it doesn't work at a certain point. And so I told my, my kids, they're like, well, I don't know if I want to come speak at chapel. And they said, why? I said, because then I might have to share about my drug problem. And my three teenagers are in the car, all of a sudden wide eyes, and my sons are like, what? And I said, guys, Mimi and Papa drugged me to church, whether I liked it or not. They drugged me to youth group. They put me in Christian school, and I had to memorize scripture. I had to do line after line after line. And they're like, Dad, you're so old. Yeah, I am. But make no bones about it, my kids know get to something if you really want. And sometimes we just need to be a little more creative because we have lives so full of stuff that it's simply a matter of eliminating things. And, and let's be honest, usually the first thing that goes out of the schedule when we're feeling tight for time and margin, it's church or it's that Wednesday night rally or worship time, it's those things. And, and, and we, we think that... Creating all this other margin is going to make our families better, but might I suggest to you that creating space to get into the presence of the Lord is actually what's going to give you the answers that you need. We find a way to get a lot of places. We look for a lot of different ways, but do we actively find a way to get before the Lord when we don't know what to do? So number one, when you don't know what to do, we need to find a way to get before the Lord. The second thing that we can do when we don't know what to do is we actually have to come to a place where we make sure that we've made choices that lead so our feelings have something to follow. Pastor Chris Hodges, uh, Church of the Highlands, is famous for saying this, choices lead and feelings follow. We have to get into a place where we've made some decisions and we've made some choices that actually lead our feelings. Can I share with you this morning that your feelings are not your best friend? Your feelings are deceitfully wicked. Your feelings may give you a temperature gauge of what you're facing or going through in life, but they are not actually supposed to be the rudder on the ship that steers the direction that you're going. They're more like a, a barometer that tells you what's going on all around you when the storm's coming, all that stuff. But they aren't supposed to be the thing that steer and direct your life. And often we get so caught up in feelings that we forget that our decisions can actually lead us to a better, healthier place. In Psalm 119, verse 11, David said this. He said, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. See, when will you decide you're choosing to serve the Lord no matter what? David said, I've had to hide your word in my heart. God, why? So I don't sin against you. So I don't walk the wrong path. So I don't fall into the same sins and temptations that I keep falling in. I have to get something in my heart that leads and directs my life so I can go the direction that I know I need to go even when I don't feel like it. And I remember there have been times and moments in my life where you wake up or you're, you're, you're praying or, or you're upset and you're in a situation where you're like, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. But you have to go back to a decision that you've made where you said, Lord, no matter what, come hell or high water, come good, bad, ugly, I will believe your goodness, I will lean into your salvation and I will serve you no matter what. See, when you've made that decision, 
It's not an emotional decision whether your bank account goes up or down, whether your relationships are on the rocks, whether difficult, painful things happen because they happen to all of us. When we make a decision to serve the Lord, we have chosen that and we make a choice that leads us, not a feeling that leads us. I remember a time when I was a young youth pastor and I remember being at one of our youth retreats. Band was playing, kids were worshiping, and I just felt I needed to get in the presence of the Lord and I, and I knelt down. And I had made the decision, like, God, I'm serving you. I'm in the ministry. I'm doing all these things. And I remember so clearly, I'm kneeling and my whole left heel. Like, you know when you're, like, laying in bed and your, your the leg starts cramping up and you can't make it go away? My whole heel and foot, like, just locked up. And I, could, I couldn't make it go away. And I'm kneeling there. I'm like, what is going on? And, I, and I'm trying to pray and seek the Lord. And I so distinctively hear, heard the Lord say, you know, are you following me? And, I said, and I'm like, yeah, Lord, I'm following you. And he says, okay, then you don't get to walk how you want to walk anymore. You get to walk how I call you to walk. And I distinctly remember it being in my left foot because weird enough, though I'm right-handed and all these things, my left foot is my kicking foot in soccer. It's my stronger leg. And it was almost like God saying, I'm going to show you that I am bigger than all your strength, but you have to choose how you're going to walk. And there have been times in my life, especially in the last number of years, where you just want to throw in the towel. You want to say, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. God, I don't know what's going on with this situation. God, I'm so hurt. I'm so broken. But because of the decisions that I've made, I have to walk, and I get to walk in the path and the things that God called me to. See, when will you decide to do the right thing? we got to make some choices to decide to do the right thing before the temptation to do the wrong thing even arises. Let me tell you, the wrong time to make a decision to be faithful to your spouse is when there's temptation for an affair. The right time to make that decision is when you made your marriage vows and you make it every day after that to say, I will be faithful till death do us part because that's what the Lord called me to. That's what I vowed. That's what I've promised. When you have an opportunity, maybe every single person, you have a different giant that you face. You have a different struggle that you face. And, and if one of them is greed, the, the wrong time to decide whether or not you'll be faithful to God in your finances is when you're tempted to take more for yourself. The wrong time to decide that you will be honorable and integrous in, 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 a, in a business dealing uh, is, is not when it's right there and you have an opportunity to say no one will ever know. The right time to make those decisions is when you have nothing and you say, God, I will honor you in all the small things. Because we make choices that lead our lives because our feelings won't always lead us the direction that our choices need to go. I feel like we live in a day and age where people are like, well, if it's meant to happen and it feels right, it'll just happen. No, things don't happen because you feel like it. I feel like I want a boat and to live in Kelowna and have a lake house. Guess what? That doesn't happen because I feel like it. Could happen if I made some choices to invest and save and do some of those things at a certain time, but your decisions and your choices lead. 
And when we face things in our lives where we don't know what to do, I'm hoping that we're encouraging this. When we ask the question, what do I do when I don't know what to do? We got to make some decisions to get before the Lord. We got to make some decisions that lead our life before our feelings try to lead us other places. But the third thing this morning is this. We have to trust that the Spirit is leading, or that God is moving and working even when we're not. And this is, this is a really difficult one for me. Because I like to get things done. I like to fix things. I like to make things happen. I like to make sure we're doing our best. I like to make sure that we're giving everything we can to make something happen. But in Psalm 121, verse 1 to 8, it says this. It says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will neither slumber, uh, will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever. And for me, rest is, a, rest is a painful word. Because honestly, it's probably some sort of triggered past trauma of, you know, uh, not being enough or having to do enough to make people happy or things like that. But, you know, there's, there's something in me that's like when I'm resting, it's like, am I being lazy? Am I, am I doing enough? Am I doing what I should be doing? And, and one of the things that we have to come to a realization of that uh, rest is not wrong. Rest is for our benefit in appropriate amounts and seasons and times. Uh, God models that right in Genesis, the seventh day. He rested. Rest doesn't mean we never do anything or quit everything. We find things that refresh, restore, replenish us, that get us into the presence of God. We find a peace in knowing that when I stop working, God is still working and he is in control, even when I feel like I'm trying to be in control. And I I think some people here need to hear this morning that you should be able to rest because God doesn't. Right? It says he watches over you. He's your shade from the sun. When the heat is on and the pressure is high and you don't know what to do, God's saying, I'm covering you. You should be able to sleep at night knowing that I can't control any more today and the Lord is going to work on my behalf and I'm going to trust him. See, we should be able to rest because God doesn't. And guess what? My restlessness, as hard as it is to overcome, doesn't mean God stopped working or mean he's going to work harder or faster. Your anxiousness, your restlessness, your idea that if I get a little more frantic, if I stay awake at night and think about these things and a million solutions, uh, you know, this is really hard for me to preach because it's really hard to live out. But, you know, the idea is that if I would actually go to bed an hour earlier, actually sleep, wake up the next morning and do something when I'm fresh, I might hear the Lord better. I might not be facing and fighting through all the emotions of what I'm trying to make a decision on. I actually rest, put my situation in the hands of God, realizing that my restlessness, my worry, my anxiety is not going to make God work any faster, but he's going to bring the answer in his time. He's going to not leave me or forsake me. He's not going to leave me high and dry. He's going to walk through whatever it is with me. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves that the spirit of God is moving and working even when he's not. But the fourth thing I want you to know today is if you don't 
know what to do. One of the best things that you can do is remind yourself of what you do know and what God has already told you. Often we get so caught in this holding pattern of life that we just feel stuck and helpless and like we can't move forward in anything. And we're saying, God, I don't know what to do. And, and we're so focused on what we don't know. We don't know the answer. We don't know the next step. We don't know God's timing. We don't know when it's going to work out. Well, how about we shift our focus from what we don't know to remind ourselves of what we do know about the character and nature of God. And how about we remind ourselves of some of the things that he's already told us. In Psalm 63, verse 6 to 8, it says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. We have to be those that remember what he's done, remember what he said, and, and remind ourselves of what we actually do know. See, this scripture here is very interesting to me. The psalmist says, I lie awake at night, not anxious, not worrying. I lay awake at night thinking of you and how good you are and the promises that you've made to me and how I can trust you and how I can rest and know that you are moving and you are working. So God, when I lie awake at night, what I should be doing is saying, I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to cling to your strength. I'm going to know that you hold me securely. I'm going to know that you hold my days and my future. Because when we declare what we do know, it changes what we think about. When we're so focused on what we don't know, we spiral into this thing of, I just don't know if there's ever an out. And I remember talking to one of my kids one day that I was trying to encourage them. And they said, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I finally, my wife was with me and, and I kind of got, I, I thank God for wives that are gracious and loving. And I'm like, don't coddle them. Teach them about life. And I looked at my kid and I just said, listen, I want to stop you right now because every time I try to speak life or encourage you or tell you what God says about you and other people have done that in your life, you are so quick to say, but, and you let the enemy's voice and the negative win out. And I said, I'm not saying that those feelings aren't real, but I said to my kid, I said, you need to pause long enough to actually let the words of life, the words of scripture, the things that God says about you actually sink in your heart that you might actually believe it one day. Because you're so focused on what you don't know and how it's going to work out. And, and I, I think it's funny that uh, maybe other parents with teenagers have seen this, but there's something now in this day and age that, uh, or maybe it's just my kids, I don't know. It's like they hit this age, and I find it's between grade 9 and the start of grade 11, that they're like so wrapped up, and it's like, if I don't figure out my whole future, my whole world's going to fall apart. And probably because everything on social media and stuff, it just shows them that everything's falling apart unless you're amazing at everything. And it's like that comparison just kills any thought of hope that they have a place in this life. So if you're a parent, don't give your kids a phone or social media until you absolutely have to. You can ask my daughter when she's here. She's 17 and still has to ask us for screen time. Her friend's like, your parents are so strict. And I'm like, yeah, but she's not sucked into all the crazy 
that's going to define her. She's going to be defined by what we say about her, what God says about her, and the good things that he speaks into her life. And now we're kind of learning. It's like one semester of high school left. We're like, we got to, I'm like, hon, I think we got to take the reins off a little bit. Like, you want to create fully functioning adults that know how to make good decisions on their own, just not because they're like micromanaged in it. And you're learning those things. But so often as adults, we, we don't even do that to ourselves. See, we, we try to teach our kids, you need to regulate your emotions, you need to regulate your intake, you need to watch what you put into your eyes, to your ears, to your mind, to your heart, because it changes the course and direction of your life, and yet we scroll, and we binge, and we watch Sports Center till 2 in the morning till we fall asleep, and we do all these things, and we can tell you all this stuff about fantasy football, or NHL Fantasy League, and the player stats, and all these things, but we can't even tell ourselves what God says about us our situation when we're stuck and we're confused and we got to find a way to get back to that place where we remind ourselves God it's not about what I don't know in this moment it's about what I know about you and that's why I think Psalm 119 verse 148 says this I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise can we have the keyboard player come back up I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. And just in this moment, I feel like for some of us, what are the things that God's promised you? Because some of you have been so disappointed and felt so far from that that you've actually put it away on a shelf and said that that probably isn't ever going to happen. But I think we need to take moments where we say, God, what have you promised me in your word? You know, scriptures like this, that in your salvation, there's fullness of joy. You know, David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. When was the last time you prayed that prayer? Lord, life's not working out the way I thought it would, but would you restore to me the joy of how good you are and how amazing you are and how much I loved you in that first moment where I felt like the whole world was open and it was hopeful and that there was promises and that my life had meaning and you created me with a purpose and gifts, talents, and abilities. Why? Because you love me, you gave yourself for me, you have set me on a path to follow you. It doesn't mean life won't be difficult, but Lord, help me remember the promise of God for my life. The promise that I can trust you. The promise that I can lean into who you are when my feelings, my emotions, everything around me tell me I should be frantic or worried. This is tough stuff because I'd venture to believe today that most of us when we're laying awake at night, we're not thinking about God's promise. We're stressed. Do I need a second job? How am I going to help my kids? Lord, what are they going to take in and believe? Will they hold true to what we've taught them or will they believe everything that culture is trying to push on them? And we can lie awake worrying about all these things or we can lie awake thinking about the promise of God. Things like Proverbs this is train a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. 
Lord, I claim that promise for my family. Lord, Psalm 37. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Lord, I claim that promise that there would be provision for my family and there would be strength for tomorrow and that we know that our sufficiency is not in the job we have or the things that we do. It's in knowing that Jesus cares for us. That God, if you care about the the sparrows, the two sparrows that are sold for a penny, how much more do you care about me and my kids and, and, and these young lives created in your image? We need to remind ourselves of what we do know and what God has already told us. But the last thing we can do is, when we don't know what to do, I believe that it's an exercise for us to learn to walk with our hearts set to pursue the presence of Jesus and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15 to 17 said this. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. See, this word came because Jehoshaphat called a fast. He called a prayer meeting. As a leader, he was honest enough to say, this is beyond me. I cannot control this. I'm gonna tell all the people our answer is gonna be found in the presence of the Lord. We gotta get back to the place. He starts declaring what God said. Jehoshaphat's prayer reflects all the things that Solomon requested at the dedication of the temple, that Lord, if your people sin, they can come here and find forgiveness. Lord, if enemies come against us, we can stand here and we can seek your protection. Lord, when we stand in your presence, we can cry out and know that you hear us. And Jehoshaphat runs all of these things through his mind. He says that the best thing we can do right now is we can get into the presence of the Lord. Then what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on what we do know. We do know that the Lord says if we come into his presence, and we cry out to him, he's going to hear us. We're going to remind God of the promises that he made when he brought us out of Egypt and he took us through the land. And just because we were gracious to these kings and they're not being gracious to us now, God, you're not going to destroy us. You told us there's a promised land. And what are you going to do about this? And he began to walk through all of these things. And it's in this moment when they find themselves in this place, the word of the Lord comes and it says this. It says, do not be afraid. One of the most mentioned declarations of all of scripture. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Some of you just need to hear that this morning. There are spiritual things going on in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and it is not your battle, it's the Lord's. And you're having to fight it with him, but he wants to fight for you. Tomorrow, march out against him. Now, this is the interesting thing. The battle is the Lord's, it's not yours, but God still calls you to march out against some things. You still got to take a stand. You still got to pursue the presence of Jesus, position yourself, and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. There will be times the Holy Spirit says, like he did in the time of Moses, that the Red Sea says, just be still, watch what the Lord will do. You have to hear the voice of the Lord in that. But then there were times where the Holy Spirit said, march out, position yourself, take your stand. 
You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens to the wilderness of Jeruel, but you will not even need to fight. Take your position, stand still, and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. There are times that we partner with God and there are times we take our place and we continue to walk knowing that there are some battles he is fighting and we simply need to move with him. But it all comes back to a heart issue of saying, Lord, when I don't know what to do, I'm gonna find myself in your presence. Lord, when I don't know what to do, I'm going to lean on the decisions I've made before my feelings want to lead me somewhere else. God, when I don't know what to do, I'm going to trust what I do know and what your word says about your character and what your word says about me and what I can lean into for hope and strength. And God, when I don't know what to do, I'm going to trust that your Holy Spirit is going to lead and it's going to guide me and I'm gonna know when to move and I'm gonna know when to stand firm and I'm gonna know when to pray and I'm gonna know when to fast and I'm gonna know when to wait. Some of you have things that are going on in your life because you're fighting battles and people that God never asked you to. He's asked you to surrender it to him. He's asked you to pray and, and we stir up some of these things and sometimes we need to get back to the place where we say, Lord, guide me by your Holy Spirit so I know the when, the how, and the what to say. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, in the ESV, it says it this way. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Why don't we stand this morning? There will be days when you don't know what to do. Might not be today, might not be tomorrow, but there will be days. But when those days come, my prayer for my family, for my church family, for God's church in the earth, for believers who have set themselves to follow Jesus with everything that they have, that we would be a people that say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are not on our government. Our eyes are not on the education system. Our eyes are not on all the stuff. And I'm not saying be oblivious to those things, but I'm saying your eyes better be on the Lord first and foremost so you can follow his leading and the Holy Spirit and trust his presence because none of those other things will lead you into the fullness of Jesus Christ. We need to be a people that say, I will position myself, Lord, to see who you are, to know what you've said, and to watch for where you want me to lead. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for every person in this place. Lord, I want to pray for those that maybe feel they're in a situation that feels hopeless, helpless, stuck, chaotic. Lord, I just pray that in this moment, in a message like this, they would find themselves in your presence right now, that they would find themselves in a place where they say, God, okay, here I am. I need to surrender my cares. I need to surrender my worries. I need to surrender the emotions around all of this, and I need to hear your voice, and I need to get my eyes on you in a fresh way. 
Lord, I pray that as they do that, that your voice, your word would come to their hearts. It would come to their lives in the moment that they're facing right now. Lord, I pray that you would bring them a sense of peace. Lord, I pray that in your people today, you would stir up a holy uprising to say we will get our families before the presence of the Lord. That we will make it happen to know that we need to be in your presence and in your worship and in your house and in your word so we can lead and walk in the ways that you've called us to. Because, Lord, we're no different than anyone else, but we've met someone who makes all the difference. We have a Savior who leads us triumphantly. We have a Savior who has the final say. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would remind us of who you are and who we're called to be as your people. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.